Amen. Please be seated. I want to add my welcome to you as well today. So good to be sharing with you, particularly as we launch into our series. Those who are joining us online, Helen, your online host there today, looking after you, but great to have you linking in with us as well. Um, So we're launching into this series over the next four weeks, Your Kingdom Come. Last week in the intro, we looked at this incredible invitation that Jesus gives us to be part of His kingdom vision for our lives, um, His great kingdom vision, far bigger than uh, we could ever come up with our own, in our own minds uh, or in our own plans, an ex- exciting vision. And uh, we talked about the power of praying that prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done in my life as it is in heaven. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at what does it look like um, to live out that kingdom vision? What does it look like in our daily lives? How can we discover it? And what does it look like to live that out? And to launch us, we're going to be looking at this topic of living according to God's word. Uh, in the 18th century, the French philosopher Voltaire uh, famously predicted that the Bible would become a mu- museum piece within a hundred years of his lifetime. Um, he thought it would be replaced by more advanced philosophies. But today, Um, the Bible remains the most popular and sought-after book in the world. To give you a bit of an idea of the, um, the, just how great its influence and popularity is, it is history's number one bestseller by a factor of 10. Nothing even comes close. Six billion copies of the Bible have been sold, and it's been the the number one bestseller every year ever since records have been kept. In fact, it's so popular that it never features on the weekly bestseller week because it would just be there every week, week in, week out. That's the truth, so they even put it in there. Unlike most bestsellers, um, its sales just keep increasing and increasing. Normally a book would come out, it sort of peak, at, uh, you know, if it was a bestseller, it would peak and then begin to decline over time, but not the Bible. Every year it just keeps increasing and increasing and increasing. Um, the latest figures for the Bible, hard to wrap your mind around this. It's estimated that last year alone, 100 million copies of the Bible were sold. That's 270,000 copies a day or 11,400 copies per hour, which means that every second, three people are getting a copy of God's Word. Huge, um, the influence and impact it has. Not only that, but the Bible is translated into 2,500 different languages. The next closest bestseller has only been translated into 60 languages. So you can just see just the magnitude of its impact and influence in our world. It really is hard to wrap your mind around it. I was doing my version Bible verse of the day this morning, and I noticed you can tap on it and see how many downloads of the version Bible app have, have taken place. It is now up to over 570 million, 570 million versions of that have been downloaded on people's devices, which is phenomenal. So incredible popularity, incredible influence. So this naturally leads us to the question... How do you explain the incredible popularity and influence of this book? How do you explain that? So far beyond anything else in this world, any other book in this world. And and the key reason for the popularity and influence of the Bible across the ages is because it's not like any other ordinary book. This book is alive, it's active, God speaks to us through His Word. It is the inspired Word of God, God revealing Himself to us. Hebrews 4 verse 12 says this, For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Some years back now, when my kids 
were younger, I was working in my office at night and the kids had been in bed for some time. When I heard the door handle turn of the office and one of my children came in and they were quite upset. I could see they were quite upset and I asked them what was wrong. I pulled them up, they sat on my lap and tried to work out what was going on. They said, well, Dad, I've got a sore tummy. And I said, no worries, I'll get you a Panadol and we'll get this sorted and back to bed. Uh, and then the, the, my child said to me, no, 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 Dad, that's not what it is. It, uh, my tummy's sore because I'm worried. And I said, well, what are, you, what are you worried about? And they said, well, I'm actually worried about dying with um, you know, tears in their eyes as they're saying this to me. And I said, well, what made you think about that? Why, why are you thinking about that? And they said, well, I was just lying in my bed thinking about what happens when I die when I'm older. And I just became really scared and upset as I thought about this. Now, there's no parenting training manual for moments like this. How do you respond? What do you do? But as it turned out, um, I had my Bible open uh, on my desk as I was preparing a message. And it just so happened, as it turned out, that it was open at John chapter 14. Literally on my desk, right in front as uh, my child was just sitting on my lap. And I said to them, look where my Bible is open. Let me read it to you. John 14 says these words. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Now, I could not have picked a better passage for a child in that moment to explain the concept of heaven and eternal life. As I shared um, this with them, we talked about the commitment they'd already made to Jesus. The tears stopped, a smile came over their face, and they went back to bed and slept peacefully. The reason I tell you that story is because it speaks to us, doesn't it, of the power of God's word. Um, the way it, it can comfort us and speak to us. And it is, amazing, it is so rich and so deep that you, you, the most intelligent person can never plumb the depths of it. And yet at the same time, a, a child can come to it and God can speak through the simplicity of God's word. It is the most incredible and amazing book. And God speaks to us through his word. But not only does he speak to us, Hebrews says here that God's word is also like a penetrating sword, that it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. And God speaks to us in this way as well. He reveals things to us. He goes deep within our hearts. He uses his word by his Holy Spirit to reveal things, to warn us through his word as well. I'll never forget um, the morning after my induction here as a... Um, well, particularly the day of my induction here as a senior pastor, the transition um, that took place back in February 2016. It was such an amazing, such an encouraging and affirming day. Um, lots of people came and spoke words of encouragement um, over that Sunday and blessings and affirmations for us. It was a really powerful service if you were there. But the day after my induction, the Monday morning, I woke up and this was my um, Bible reading on that day. It was Joshua 4. The transition from Moses to Joshua. And this was my daily reading, reading notes on that day. It said this, these words, leadership changes have great potential for creating difficulties, whether in nations, organisations or churches. So what do you think the Israelites were thinking when Joshua took over from Moses? Were they excited, thinking this was going to be the start of even greater things for their people? Or were they more jaded and cynical, thinking that things had peaked and could only decline? Because no one would ever be quite like Moses. This was a testing time for everyone. 
But what counted was not the acclaim of the people, it was the Lord who exalted Joshua. That is always God's task. Jesus warned about the danger of self-promotion. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. So beware of leaders who tell you how great they are. And if you're a leader, be careful not to start believing your own press releases. I was listening. What is clear from Joshua is that he had learned the secret of great leadership. He was obedient and then gave the glory to God. Simple. Pray today for your church leaders that they'll always be humble enough to submit to God's leadership. And I knew straight away as I read that passage, as I read the notes in my reading plan, I knew that was a warning from God for me in that moment. After all the affirmation and blessing of that day, God was just giving me a warning to take heed of, to keep in front of me, to stay humble, give God the glory, not to believe the press re- <laughs> all the press releases. But that's the power of God's word, isn't it? It's like a sword. It penetrates deep within our hearts, the thoughts, the attitudes. I had a friend who runs a business and he had a competitor that was making life very tough for him, spreading rumours about him, doing everything he could to make his life difficult. It was an incredibly difficult season for him in his life. Then one day, he had a knock on the front door of his business and he went down and to his shock, it was this competitor coming in person to see him and he was nervous. What was this going to be about? This could be really bad. And he opened the door tentatively when this competitor came in. He said, I'm just coming to let you know that um, uh, my business is actually going under and I've come to see if you would want to buy any of my machinery. Now, my friend was pretty happy to hear this news. This was a big relief for him. It had been an incredibly, incredibly difficult time. But then he remembered his reading from that very day. It was Psalm 28, verse 17. It says, Do not gloat when your enemy falls. When they stumble, do not let your heart rejoice, or the Lord will see and disapprove. And again, he knew that was a warning from God for him to be careful in this moment, to be very careful. And I know so many of you could have similar stories of the way God has spoken to you, comforted you, warned you, challenged you, brought conviction where we're not in line with God's heart and his will for our lives. And so this power of God's word, it is without a doubt the reason um, for its immense popularity, its influence over the ages, which is far beyond any, any other book ever written. But despite the Bible's popularity and influence across the ages, particularly in more modern times, its authenticity and its reliability, it's come under much scrutiny. Um, and for many people, their default view of the Bible, often without even looking into it too much, is that surely a book written that long ago is irrelevant today, it's out of date Surely it can't have anything to say to me today. For other people, um, their concept of it is that it's made up of legends and mythical stories, but it's not actually um, actual history that you can rely upon. But in actual fact, I want to tell you this morning, the weight of evidence for the authenticity, the reliability, the historical accuracy of the Word of God is actually overwhelming. Again, you don't hear much about this, um, but there are two 
main forms of evidence that point towards this in an overwhelming way. And the first is the evidence that comes through textual criticism. Textual criticism is the discipline that looks at the number of ancient manuscripts of a document that there are and how early the copies that we have are to the actual writing and then how many copies of that we actually have. I'm not going to go into all the details of that, um, but in your groups this week, you get a chance to look at that in a little more detail. But it's incredible. And ancient historians... Textual critics will say without a doubt that the Bible can be relied upon amongst ancient documents as one of the most or clearly the most reliable source to go to. The second evidence for the accuracy, the authenticity and reliability of the Bible is the archaeological evidence. There has been many archaeological discoveries that have spoken and, and, and affirmed the reliability of the Bible as well. One of the most famous is the dis- discovery of the Nabonidus cylinder. Again, you can have a look at that this week in your groups. But that's just one of a number of examples. And so all this evidence points to the authenticity, the reliability, the accuracy of the Word of God. So the question is, if the Bible can be trusted and it's truth, it is truth, what does this mean for us? This is the key question. So let's read James 1 together this morning. We're going to read from verse 22. It'll come up on the screen. Or You're welcome to follow along on your devices or in your Bibles. It says this, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So if the Bible can be trusted, if it's authentic, if it's reliable, what does this mean for us? Well, the first thing is this. The first question we need to ask ourselves is, will I submit myself to God's word as authority, as truth, as the final authority in my life? Will we submit our lives under the authority of God's word? This is, this is a big challenge for us, a big one for all of us. It's said of Thomas Jefferson, the US president, that he cut out and threw away all the bits of the Bible he didn't like, and he kept the ones that he did like. Uh, He wanted to paint his own picture. He wanted to put the picture together that he felt, felt most comfortable with, that he felt like, I can live within this, and he'd pick and choose what he wanted, but that's not how it works for us. We don't get that choice. We are the design, not the designer. We are the created, not the creator. Um, If you've ever assembled a piece of Ikea furniture and experienced the pain of that, I'm sure many of you have, but if you're doing that and you're following the the instruction manual on how to put that together and then you just come to some parts and go, those screws, they aren't that important, I'm not going to worry about that, I'm just going to ignore that page, I'm just going to keep going, you know and I know that that just ends up in disaster because sometimes I've skipped a page by accident and it has been a disaster. Right, we don't get to pick and choose. We don't get to pick and choose. We are the created, not the creator. But one of the biggest reasons we resist submitting to the authority of God's law is because we feel that it's going to be too restrictive for us. In fact, for many people, their view of the Bible is that it's just a list of rules for us to follow designed to restrict our freedom. For many people, that's the perception that they have. But here in James 1, verse 25, it describes the Bible as the perfect law that brings freedom. 
just the opposite of what many people think. So how does this work? How does the perfect law bring freedom to our lives? I was reading a little while back a news article about some residents in Byron Bay who were very upset. Um, They were upset because they had a large volume of free campers coming and staying in Byron Bay. The number just kept increasing and increasing and these people were coming and camping for free in their vans and the streets and they were clogging up the streets and um, they weren't paying for the facilities and um, it was starting to affect local residents. It was affecting their lifestyle and their freedom and businesses were being impacted by this as well and the article was talking about the incredible tension it was in this um, area of Byron Bay because Byron is known for its free living ethos this is what it's known for who had the right to tell these free campers what they were doing was not right but when there is no truth no guidelines for the good of the community they were soon discovering that it can lead to disorder and, and, and chaos and it actually takes away the very freedom that they valued so much. And so it's the guidelines that, that brings the freedom and enables us and others to flourish. I heard a similar example of the teacher who had a group of high school students and they just were not doing what he said. A PE teacher weren't doing what he said, trying to play this game and no one was following the rules. And so eventually he said, right, we're going to do this again. This time there are no rules. There's no outlines. There's no goals. It's free for all. You just go for it. And uh, after five minutes, we'll, we'll, you know, I'll, I'll sound the whistle and we'll come in. So he just let them go. They went for it. Um, just no rules, and, and everyone thought, this is going to be fantastic. How good is this? They thought it was going to be the best thing ever. But within a few moments, it was chaos. People were getting hurt. Soon people were sitting out because they weren't even sure where the goal was or what we were trying to um, do in this game. And what seemed like a great idea to these students, they quickly realised it actually took all the joy and fun out of actually playing this game. And so the teacher blew his whistle. He brought them back in, and he said, okay, we're going to do this again this time. I'm going to explain to you the rules. I'm going to show you where the outline is. I'm going to make it clear where the goals are. And I'm going to have my whistle and I'm going to direct you and guide you within the rules of the game. We're going to play again. This time, the students got it and they were engaged and they played again. And this time, they had so much more fun following the guidelines that were um, set out for them. And the reality is that in our desire to get rid of the truth, to give us freedom, we lose the very freedom that we are longing for the most. And God has given us the truth of his word, not because he wants to restrict us, but because he wants us to flourish. He wants to bless us. He wants us to know true freedom and joy. As the one who created us and knows what's best for us, he's given us his word for this very purpose. And so the first question is, you know, will I submit myself to the authority of God's word in my life. Not picking and choosing what I want, but say, God, this is your word. I'm going to submit myself under this authority. There's a famous story, in fact, that is told of Billy Graham, who really wrestled with this concept early on in his um, ministry life and his spiritual journey. He had a lot of people telling him, well, you can't trust everything in God's word. You, You can't believe everything that's in there. And he really wrestled with this. And he tells the story of the moment where he came and he went out in a field and he got his Bible and he put his Bible on a stump out before him. And he said to God, God, I've got people telling me all sorts of things about your word, whether I can trust it or not. And he said, I'm making a decision 
um, tonight just to, just to submit myself to the authority of your word. And he describes what a, a powerful moment this was for him as he knelt down at that stump. He said, God, I'm going to submit myself under the authority of your word. And he said how the Spirit of God met him in that place and tears were in his eyes. And he knew deep within his heart there was something right about what he was doing. And if you know Billy Graham's ministry, the millions of people he went on to impact, there was something that he was known for, and that is as he would speak, he would hold up the Word of God, and he would say this phrase again and again. He'd say, and the Word of God says. And it was the authority of the Word of God that he relied upon, that depended upon, which saw the Spirit of God move in great power through his ministry and see many, many lives transformed. It's the same for us. Will we come to that point and say, Lord, I'm going to submit myself Maybe I've got some questions. Maybe there's some things I'm not sure about, but I'm going to submit myself under the authority of your word. The second question is this, and this is a really big one for every single one of us, myself included. Will we live according to God's word? This is, let me read again the start of James 1. It says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the world but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Imagine for a moment that this is the driver's manual for my car. Imagine if I would read the manual, I would tag the manual, I'd highlight the manual, uh, even memorise parts of the manual. Imagine if I would do that but I never actually got in the car and applied what the manual said to do. Imagine if I never did that. That would be crazy, isn't it? The, the very purpose of the manual is to show me how to drive the car and I'd never get anywhere at all. But how often do we approach God's Word in that same way? We come and we study it and we memorise it and we know it but we never actually do what it says. And James says here, be very careful of doing that. If you approach God's word in that way, you're missing the very purpose of God's word. God has revealed his word to us so that we might then follow in trust and obedience. And if we will not do that, then we will never experience the power of God's work and the fullness of the, 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 the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I think as we look at this topic, this really is the biggest challenge for all of us. Remember reading years ago, a Christian author who said, most Christians are educated way beyond their level of obedience. It's true. See, it's one thing to know God's word. It's another thing to seek to live according to God's word. But until we come to God's word with that readiness of heart, ready to respond in trust and obedience, then we are missing the key purpose of God's revealed word to us. A.W. Tozer wrote this. He said, The Bible is not an end in itself, but a means to bring people to an intimate and satisfying knowledge of God, that they may enter into Him, that they may delight in His presence, may taste and know the inner sweetness of the very God Himself in the core and center of their hearts. This is God's desire for us as we come to His Word. Some time back, I read about a Christian speaker and author who was in Columbus, Ohio, and his driver um, pointed out to him the Wexner Center, and he described it as the first postmodern building. And the speaker was curious what this meant, a postmodern building, and so asked him to explain that a bit further. And uh, the driver informed him the architect believed the building should have no design or any meaning. Um, And so the end result of this building was pillars which had no purpose, stairs that lead nowhere in this design. 
And the speaker was you know, thinking about this as he's in the back of the car and he said so to the driver, so his argument was that if life has no purpose of design, why should the building have any design? Is that right? And the driver said, yeah, that's exactly right. That's what he thought. And pondering this a bit more, the speaker then said to the driver, did he do the same with the foundations of the building? And all of a sudden there was silence. And the speaker writes these words, you see, you and I can fool with the infrastructure as much as we like, but we dare not fool with the foundations. Life is about the foundations. It forms the basis of what we believe is true. It's our moral and ethical framework. It's how we decide what's right and wrong. And in Matthew 7, Jesus tells the story of the parable of the wise and the foolish builder, well-known parable. And he says these words, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. Jesus is saying God's word is the one true foundation for our lives. And if we do not build our lives on that foundation, then we're going to be on very shaky ground because his word was given to us to allow us to flourish, to know freedom and joy and peace. And so my prayer this morning on this first week of this series as we seek to live with the kingdom vision for our lives, I I want you to see that living with the kingdom vision begins by being a people devoted to the word of God, being a people who have the word of God as their foundation. The number one way God speaks to us is through his word. Right? It's our kingdom vision roadmap for our lives we want. If you want to know what's the kingdom vision God has for me, it's here in the roadmap. It is our guide to lead us through this life. And if you want to discover God's plan and purpose for your life, begin here in God's word. And there are a few practical responses for us from this this morning, in the first week of this series. The first is this. If you're not currently in a habit of, of uh, reading regularly God's word, then I really want to encourage you over this series to commit to saying, yeah, God, I'm going to step in and over this series, I'm going to re- regularly get in the habit of reading your word daily. Um, all the research into spiritual disciplines and spiritual growth show that the number one um, indicator that leads to spiritual growth is engagement with the word of God, number one by far across all of the spiritual disciplines. And not only that, the research on Bible engagement has discovered that it's when people are engaging with the Word of God at least four times per week that there is a dramatic um, upkick in terms of spiritual growth and, and God working in a person's life. I don't know why the number four, but four times per week, if people are engaging, the research has shown there's a significant increase in in our growth in our relationship with God and God's work in our lives and so maybe um, you've just fallen out of the habit of reading God's word daily I want to encourage you just to really commit to stepping back into that maybe you've never done that before I want to encourage you to step in and to do that if you have a preferred reading plan you can do that if not the YouVersion Bible app which I mentioned at the start has some fantastic reading plans you can just jump into and download and follow along even if you're not a reader there is now the Bible on audio on YouVersion as well you can just put the earphones in and listen to it as um, you know as you're walking or whatever you're doing and you can just be soaking in the word of God but I want to encourage you to to make a commitment over this to say, yeah, God, I'm going to engage with the Word of God. The second one is this. Maybe for you, you need to submit to the authority of God's Word in your life. Right? You're a bit like Thomas Jefferson. You've sort of been 
picking the parts you like and just ignoring the parts that you don't feel as comfortable with. Maybe because you feel like it's going to restrict your lifestyle a bit or, um, you know, you're just not, not happy with it or you've got questions about it and so you're going, okay, well, I'm not going to submit to that part, but I will for these other parts. But today the challenge from God's word is that we would come and we'd submit ourselves completely under the authority of God's word over our lives. That we would um, make that decision in our hearts. Or if we've moved away from that, to come back again and say, God, I'm just going to submit my life under the authority of your word for me. And maybe you know there's a particular area where you've been just, you know, not wanting to submit yourself under. But today the spirit of God's saying, yeah, you need to step back in under my authority in this area of your life. Maybe that's for you this morning. And the final one is this, and this is a big one, big one for all of us, myself included. Are you living according to God's word? Are there things that God has spoken to you about through his word, truths that you know God has revealed to you through his word, and you're not following in trust and obedience? You're just putting it out there in the two hard basket. You're thinking, I don't have the gifts to do that, God, or if I do that, I'm worried about what the, what the repercussions will be or the consequences of that, and you're hesitating to step forward in trust and obedience to what God has said to you through his word. Well, I want to encourage you today um, and over this series to, to commit to saying, God, we're gonna, I'm going to follow, I'm going to live, seek to live according to your word. Um, that is what God is longing for us so that we might experience the power of his word, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I believe that as we come to God's word, this is my prayer that we would have a, a fresh devotion and hunger for God's word as his people. Dr. William McKay was born in 1839 in Scotland and when he was 17 he went off to study medicine at the University of Edinburgh and as he left his mum actually gave him a Bible. He grew up in a, in a home with um, Christian parents, godly mum who um, gave him a Bible as he went off to university. In the front of the Bible he just wrote his, um, his name and a verse of scripture that he put in there. And as he went off to university, gradually over the years, um, William began to drift further and further away from his relationship with God. He actually got to a point where it was so um, dark for him, uh, he got caught up in drinking, that he actually sold off his Bible. He pawned it off to get money to buy some more drink um, just to satisfy himself and to meet his needs at that point. When he graduated from university, his first appointment was in an emergency department of a hospital. And there he came face to face with the reality of the suffering of this world. And he noticed something. Um, he describes how he noticed over that time period how people who had a faith in Christ, he noticed how his life just went further and he just kept drifting further and further and further away from God. Eventually one day there was a young man that came into the emergency department. He was a young mason's helper who had fallen off a high scaffolding and he sustained very serious injuries and William's job was to look after this young man. And after assessing him, he realised that this young man, um, his injuries were critical, that he, um, the chances of his survival were very, very slim. And so he said to this young man, um, do you have any relatives? Um, because I think we need to contact them and let them know your situation is not good. And this young man said to him, this young mason's help, said, actually, I don't have any family in this life. It's just me. But he said, would you do something for me? Would you contact my landlady and would you ask her to come and visit me because I actually owe her some money and I want to give her that money. And also, can you just tell her to bring the book? And William said, well, what do you mean, the book? He said, just tell her to bring the book. She'll know what I'm talking about. And sure enough, this lady came, out, came up to visit this young man and brought the book. And sure enough, that book was this young man's Bible. 
And William witnessed over the coming days the way this young man would just um, had a hunger for God's word. And the difference is he read it in his hospital bed, just the change it brought to this young man, the peace that came over him, just his, his, his love for God's word. And eventually it got to the point where this young man couldn't read it anymore and he would just hold on. William says he would just hold on to the word of God as he lay there in that bed, unable to read it. And people would come from time to time and, and read the word of God to him. And he was really impacted and struck by this once again. And it was beginning to do something within his heart. And eventually um, this young man very sadly passed away. And the staff came to him uh, with, with the Bible and said to William, what, what do you want us to do with this Bible? What should we do? And William said, well, I know he's got no relatives, so just leave it with me and I will um, dispose of the Bible. I'll, I'll look after it. And in saying that, as he took hold of the Bible, the nurses gave it to him. He opened up the Bible and when he opened up and he looked in the front cover, he quickly shut it again with a look, a look of just shock on his face. And the nurses could see something was going on and they said, are you okay? And he said, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine. I'm going to be in my office if you need me. Come to me there. And he went to his office and he opened up the Bible again, the front cover, and in that Bible was his mum's handwriting and the verse of scripture that she had written for him all those years ago. And this young Mason's helper didn't have much money. He'd bought this Bible secondhand from a shop. And as it turned out, it just so happened to be the very Bible that William's mum had given to him all those years ago as a 17-year-old as he'd left to go to university. And in those moments, as William sat in his office, he described how he flicked through that well-worn Bible, now well-worn and been marked up and underlined from this young man. And he began to read the passages of Scripture. And as he began to read God's Word, God started to do a deep work in his heart, a reviving work in his heart. And he talks about a moment he had with that Bible as he read it, where he came before God and he said, God, forgive me for going my own way. And he had a moment of just coming before God again and saying, God, I want to follow you. I want to live for you. He actually ended up um, leaving his, his um, profession there and he went into ministry. He actually wrote um, a number of hymns, one of the most famous hymns. The first hymn he wrote actually was Revive Us Again, was the hymn he wrote. And he went on and wrote another 17 hymns, but Revive Us Again is the one that still gets sung from time to time around the place today, a very famous hymn. But I love this story as I was reading about it. I love the story because it reminded me of the way God just keeps pursuing us with his love, doesn't he? He never stops. And maybe this morning you've come and you need to hear that God is still pursuing you with his love. He cares about you. He loves you. And he wants you to encounter his love and grace in a fresh way, just like William McKay experienced there. And the other part that I love about it is the way it talks about the power of the Word of God, that story, how powerful it is, how mighty it is. And the direct link, I love the link between the Word of God, a heart for the Word of God and His reviving work. The way it led him to write that hymn, Revive Us Again, O God. It did a reviving work in William's life. But I believe that across this series, as we pray this prayer, Lord your kingdom of heaven, we long for your kingdom of heaven to break into our world, to break into our lives. As we keep praying as a church for this reviving move of the Holy Spirit, I believe that Jesus is saying to us this morning, here's where it begins. It begins for us as a people saying, Lord, I'm going to commit myself afresh to being a people devoted to your word, hungry for your word. And not just devoted to your word, but submitting ourselves on the authority of your word. Being a people who seek to live according to your word, to follow in trust and obedience. 
And as we do this, I believe the Spirit of God will move in power among us, an even greater power among us. And we will see His Spirit do a reviving work in our hearts and beyond us, beyond that as well. And so this morning, I want to pray for us as we come. We say, God, we want to commit afresh to being people of your word, devoted to your word. Will you join with me as we pray together now? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this most precious gift that you have given to us, the gift of your word. You speaking to us. Thank you that you're not a hidden God, a distant God, but you have revealed yourself to us through your word. And this morning we hear your word to us, great God, and our heart's desire is to respond in trust and obedience. For some here today who the call is, you're calling us, Lord, just to re-engage with your word again in a fresh way. Lead us in that, Lord, I pray. For others, Lord, the calling from your spirit is just to submit ourselves afresh under the authority of your word. Just to come to that point, a fresh commitment there, Lord, to say, Lord, I'm I'm going to just submit and I'm going to follow what your word says. And finally, Lord, that call for all of us to be people who live according to your word, not just hearers, but doers, great God, is our prayer. Help us when you speak to follow in trust and obedience. And so, Lord, stir up within us a fresh hunger and desire to be people of your word, devoted to your word, I pray. And through that, Lord, you would continue to do your reviving work among us, great God. That you would come and and blow by your Holy Spirit, Lord, across our lives, across your church, across our community, city and beyond, Lord, that's our prayer. And so we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing a song as we respond together. Um, This wasn't my original response song, but when I heard Blessed Assurance played in the other service, I said to the team, can we sub this in? And the reason I loved it, powerful song, but the the verses in there, it says perfect submission, perfect delight in one of the verses. And then um, again, it talks in another verse again about perfect submission. All is at rest. And behind that is this very heart, isn't it, for us to come and just say, God, we're submitting ourselves under your word, under your truth. And as we do that, to allow your blessing to flow. So let's stand together. Let's sing this beautiful hymn, the words of it, as a response this morning and uh, continue to give praise to our Saviour and our God. Blessed assurance Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. An of salvation, a purchase of God. Born of His Spirit, washed, washed in His blood. This is my story. Sing it out. This is just
and our joy to submit ourselves afresh to you this morning as our King, as our Saviour, the one who loves us, who died for us. And Lord, our prayer this morning is that your Spirit would continue to move among us, continue to renew us, revive us, Lord. This is our prayer, that through us your glory would be revealed to our community, our city, our world. We pray this in Jesus' Name. Everyone said... Amen. Please be seated. If you'd like prayer, some of our prayer team will be down the front or our prayer lounge at the back. They'd love to pray for you this morning. I do want to remind you too of our welcome morning tea. If you're new this morning or you've already booked in, head over to the chapel. We'd love to greet you there as well. God bless all those joining us online. Thanks so much for sharing with us. We look forward to connecting with you again soon. God bless.